The third Sunday of Advent here is one of joy, like it's been mentioned many times, and there's a lot to rejoice about, but I wanted to concentrate on one thing in particular, and that's simply just God, just God at face value. And how can we as humans know God? That's the question. What can we possibly know about God? We spend every single Sunday simply gathering together as fellow servants of God. We, we pray, we read, we spread his message, but who is he? Who is God? It's such a basic question, but not all of us, even Christians, truly know God. Why is this even important in the first place? And I'll tell you why, because knowledge must come before prayer. How can one properly pray to God if they don't know him? How can one truly appreciate his majesty without full knowledge of him? And how can one serve or live for God without really knowing him? It is impossible to have faith in God without knowing the character of God. So our knowledge of him is crucial to our faith. How we worship, how we pray, what we believe about him. There's obviously other religious definitions out there of God, so we have to make sure that we have the right definition. But God is just simply just so much greater than us, so much greater that he is simply unfathomable, unsearchable, and, and, and past finding out all of knowing him completely. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. It's impossible. You can't do it. Romans 11, 33-34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? So it is impossible to know God, right? Well, wrong. It's true that it's impossible everything about God. The only things that we can know about God is what God has chosen to reveal to us through his scripture. You know, is volleyball his favorite sport? I don't know. Scripture doesn't touch on that. God does not reveal to us all about himself, but he only reveals the things that we, his creation, need to know. There is nothing hidden from us that is crucial for us to know about him in this life. So we are going to today to take a very, and I mean very wide-angle view lens of, of simply what the, the question is uh, of who God is. It's almost like an intro study course to it. it. Very basic, but very crucial to our faith to know this, to answer this question, who is God? So let's take a look together at what God has chosen to reveal to us about himself. This sermon is actually going to be two parts. Uh, because I don't want to bog you down with too much of sitting, and to be honest, I don't, I don't like sermons that long, so that's why it's going to be a little shorter. So let's, let's get into it. God shows us who he is in four ways, and that's through actions, through his names for himself, through images, and through his attributes. The list I'm about to go, go through is mainly attributes, but I'll also list the first three ways as well, which is actions, names, and images as well. Now, as we go through these attributes of God, these, these attributes that God has revealed to us, know now that these are not the only attributes that God has revealed, but only a short, condensed list. Almost like a, a best-of list, if you will. 
And I almost feel guilty doing the sermon simply because that each and every single one of these points could bring out multiple sermons. But like I said before, this is just to get a wide-angle view lens, and it's very broad. And the reason why I did this is because I want us to just see in one sitting how great our God is. So first, let's start off with the very basic. There's only one and only God. There's only one. There never was or will be any other God but Him. He's it. The very first commandment from the Ten Commandments makes this clear. Simply, you will have no other gods before me. Why is that? Because there are no other gods. Well, what, what is God? Does he have a body? Does he have arms? Does he have legs? Can I, can I hug him? Jesus tells us in John 4, 24 that God is spirit. God does not have a body like us. He is not bound to the flesh the way we are. A spirit, as Jesus says in Luke 24, 39, does not have flesh and bones. Okay, you may be saying to yourself, but what about Genesis 1, 26, where God made man in his image? It's true that we are made in God's image. The Bible says so. But that image of God is not his physical image. Us being made in his image refers to his intellectual and his moral likeness. Some examples, some examples of this are simply that God can become angry and we too can become angry. God loves and we love. God is described in the Bible as laughing and as rejoicing, as hating, as loving, etc. Like God, we have a mind, we have intellect, we have emotion, we have more, a moral capacity. Thus, we are made in his image in this manner and not the physical. Being made in the image of God has nothing to do with physical characteristics. Well, what about the scriptures that tell us about God's face, ears, eyes, mouth, arms, hands, fingers, feet? What about the time when Moses saw God's back? How do we explain those things? Those are what we call anthropomorphisms. I know it's a big word. An anthropomorphism is when human characteristics are projected onto God with the purpose of understanding Him better with our own mindset and what we can relate to. These physical attributes do not refer to him in a literal or, or physical sense. Instead, they're only used to highlight and emphasize God's character or God's being. So don't let these anthropomorphisms, whenever you read them in Scripture, limit your view of God's deepness. He is not to be simply reduced to a human level. But through these descriptions, God has highlighted for us a better understanding of him so that so God does not have a body. Well, what does he have? All we know is that he has a spirit. We'll get to see this answer face to face whenever we see him in heaven. Likewise, God actually does not even have a gender. He is neither male nor female. After all, God doesn't have a body. Well, wait a minute. God says that he is the father, right? So he is a he. He is never God the mother. Explain that. Well, okay. In the Bible, God is described to have both male and female attributes. For example, male. The Bible only uses masculine pronouns, nouns, and titles when referring directly to God. Never does it use a female pronoun. That's why he's never called she. Well, why is that? Why choose to be referred to as a male? And that's, that's easy to answer because the role assigned to man 
rather than woman in scripture is one of authority, of, of government, of leadership. The scriptures are very explicit, for example, that in marriage and in church, woman is to submit to man. God, however, always governs. He always exercises authority, leads, and takes initiative. He is never under authority or submission or following anybody or anything. But he's also described in female terms, uh, or female attributes as well. For example, Isaiah 66, 13 says, As a mother comforts her child, so I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So for the sake of time, believe me when I tell you that there are many other scriptures, scriptures when God is compared, is compared to female figures, but God is never referred to with a female pronoun, name, or direct title. The fact is that God's male imagery far outweighs his female imagery. And the female Im imagery is actually used to highlight the fact that he has made woman as well as man, and even their attributes are made in his image. The ways of woman are not foreign to him for obvious reasons. So the fact that the Bible designates, the, the biblical designations of God are placed within a specific framework of masculine settles the matter once and for all that God is, but we have to remember that God is not male, but calling him male reflects his authority and his rule. Secondly, he is eternal. He had no beginning and he will have no end. He, is al he always was and always will be. He is in no way bound by time. He is the one and only. Every other person or thing actually had a beginning at one time, except for him. Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were born, or before, or, or you brought forth the earth to the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In Genesis 21.33 and Isaiah 40.28, many other scriptures call him the everlasting God, which means not just eternal, not just the eternal points to the fact that there was a beginning and there will be no end. But everlasting is there was never a beginning and there was never an end. He always was. And he's the only one we can say that about. Psalm 102.27 says simply that God's years will have no end. And this brings up the inevitable question, how did God begin? The answer is that God is outside of time. He's outside of his creation. Time is created. We have to remember that. So even by asking the question, we are limiting God by putting God under our rules that he created for us. So that question actually doesn't make sense. Just the word eternity is beyond our understanding. There's no way for us to be able to comprehend this revealed truth, which in and of itself highlights God's awesome power. Also, from this teaching, we can take comfort knowing that we have a God that will last forever, keeping us in his safety without fear. He, will, he has no end. Thirdly, we have to remember that God is sovereign, which means that he is in absolute and complete control of all things. There's nothing that can happen without him knowing it or allowing it. He is the one and only who is in control. No one tells him what to do. He is the one who reigns supreme over everybody. Daniel 4.35 says, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Genesis 18.14 also says, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? 
This truth implies God's power or his omnipotence. And omni is Latin for all, and potence is referring to power, which means he's all-powerful. This simply means that God is able to do his holy will however he pleases. He is in control of all things. There are no chains or no limitations holding him back or preventing him in any way, shape, or form. Nothing is impossible for him. And his will will always be in accord with the rest of his character. Remember that God is holy, that he is light, that he will never sin. There is no darkness in him. And the power of our God is amazing. And that's simply why he's called Elohim, which is the strong one. El Eon, which is the strongest one or most high. El Shaddai, which we probably are familiar with, which means almighty one. It's just limitless names refer to how powerful he is. And this is actually seen through everything that he actually created, which is everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. Jeremiah 15.15 says, He made the, the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. He is the one and only who created everything that we see. The mountains, the oceans, the stars, the sun, the black hole. He's the one responsible for everything. It's just unfathomable how powerful he actually is. Fourthly, he is knowing, all-knowing. He knows everything. This is called God's omniscience. Omni is all, and omniscience or science is knowledge. God knows everything. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. God knows what did happen in the past. He knows what will happen. He even knows exactly what would have happened if something that didn't happen did happen. He knows your thoughts, your hopes, your fears. Luke, Luke 12, 7 says that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or even could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or in the present or in the future he knows everything. He knows the hypothetical events. We just have to understand, in other words, that God is infinite in, in regards to his knowledge. He knows himself and he knows all things perfectly. There is not one thing in this world that he does not know. He's never surprised or amazed. In other words, you're not going to jump scare God. And with God's knowledge, obviously comes wisdom. He doesn't just know things, but he knows what's best. God knows and chooses the best goals and best means to those goals. Though we may not understand God's wisdom, His way is always the right way. Our wisdom is clouded and His is not. Isaiah 55, 8-9 reminds us of this. Where God says, says to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's infinite knowledge and wisdom should cause us to fully trust Him and trust His decisions. Fifthly, God is independent. He is, God is totally self-sufficient. He, he never experiences need for anything. God needs nothing to survive and depends upon no one for anything. God doesn't need any part of his creation for anything. 
Acts 12, or Acts 17, 24 to 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything because he himself gives, gives all men life and breath and everything else. God is the one in charge. He didn't create us because he needed something. Even one of his most powerful names for, for himself is simply I am. Highlights that God is eternal and self-existent who depends on no one for anything. Some people who don't know God, who, who don't know the basic attributes of God, sometimes argue that God is almost like an egomaniac. That he demands worship from you because he is just full of himself. But the truth is here in the scriptures. The truth is that God doesn't need your worship. God doesn't need your praise. He, he requires full obedience to him out of his love for us. Instead of letting us just rot in our own sins. God reaches down and, it, and is involved in every single one of our lives. Next, we have to remember that God is everywhere at all times. God sees all things. This is called his omnipresence. Omni is all again and, and, and presence is, is here. God is always here. And he is everywhere. You and me, we, we can only be at one place at one time. For example, I cannot be here at church preaching at the very same time be it, you know, a restaurant tearing up a buffet. I don't know what that is either. It happens all the time. <laughs> Try being in here alone. It's a little weird. <laughs> it's not just impossible for us to be at two places at one time. But it's not impossible for God. Because he is everywhere at the same time. He is right here, right now. He's in the jails right now. He is underground. He's in airplanes. He's in space. He's at the bottom of the sea. He is in heaven, and he's at all these places at the very same time, simultaneously. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 9 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. Jeremiah 23, 23 to 24 also says, Am I a God nearby? Am I, only, uh, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God, God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Nothing can be hidden from God, whether it's physical or not. He knows where you are, and, and he also knows what you're thinking, too. At this point, we can see God's omnipresence and omniscience working together. God is everywhere and he knows all things. So at all times, God knows everything. His eyes are everywhere. Proverbs 15.3 says that, that he is called El Roi, which means the one who sees. This truth can actually be good or bad. It can be good because God is with you always, but it can be bad because God is with you always. He's with you when you pray, and he's with you when you lustfully look at another man or woman. You can't say to God, God, do you think that you can just come back after I get home from Vegas? Because I, I think it'd be best if you don't see what happens there. That's not going to happen. But more so, God's omnipresence should be comforting more than anything else. Because God is always here with us. He is here 
when you and I are on top of the world and he's here also when we're diagnosed with cancer. He's always right there beside you, whether or not you want him there or not. And he's there out of his love for you. You, his creation, made in his image. So for today, that's all I'm going to say about God, because I don't want to bombard you. The more we learn about God, the more we can love and appreciate him as well as understand him. So we need to use this head knowledge simply to soften our hearts, and to accept him for the first time, or to motivate your spirit to dedicate yourself more to him. It's probably going to be the Sunday after next whenever we'll get into the second part of this. But in the meantime, let's spend this time studying scripture and scripture alone. And let's study it with others so that we can truly appreciate all that God is and all that he continues to do for us, even though he, we don't deserve it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is just unfathomable how awesome and how great you are. We, we hear stories of like superheroes nowadays. And we recognize the fact that, that they are obviously false, but you are real. And a lot of their attributes that they have, Lord, they simply just are gleaned from the reality, the fact that you do and are possible of all things. How great and how wonderful you are, Lord. We thank you for you being holy, for being pure, for being right, and for being righteous. And on the flip side of that, Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness for not perfectly reflecting your character, even though you have purchased us with your blood. We, too, are to be holy as you are holy. We, too, are to live our lives right and just and to reflect you perfectly. But the stain from sin, it's a deep one, and we continue to tempt ourselves and continue to follow our temptations of the flesh, flesh and we fall deeper and deeper into sin. We ask for your strength and your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness, uh, first of all, for what we continue to do. And help us and give us strength, Lord, to repent. And help us, Lord, and empower us with your spirit to reflect your light, to reflect this character that is not yours and yours alone. But there are many of your attributes which you call us. That you call us to communicate to others, Lord. There are some of your attributes which we cannot, we, we, are, we are not everlasting, but we, we are eternal. But there are others that simply spell out that you are love, Lord, and we know that we can do that. We can only do that through you. And fill, fill us with your spirit, Lord, as we continue to strive to glorify your kingdom in this life as long as you give us life. May we live it for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand and sing.